You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Morning, everyone. Good to see you guys today. We are in this series of messages. We're talking about how to grow as a leader. And we're not talking about just any kind of leader. We're concerned primarily become the kind of leaders that please God, that are doing His work in this world. So this is our definition of leadership. It is the power to influence others for good. Obviously, leadership doesn't have to influence others for good, but that's the definition of the kind of leader that pleases God. Now, you may not have a formal position of leadership, but every one of us has influence, and therefore every one of us can influence others for good. And who a leader is on the inside will determine the kind of leader that people experience on the outside. And in that way, we talked about this last week, but leaders are kind of like the proverbial iceberg. Influence is the part of the leadership iceberg that is above the waterline that we experience, that we see. But 90% of what drives that influence occurs below the waterline. We often refer to this as a person's character. A character is who we are when nobody is looking. And there are four components that we're going to be looking at in this four-part series that drive a leader to influence other people for good. Last week, we looked at the foundation of the leadership iceberg, which is loving integrity. Good leaders love, which means they live their lives for something bigger than themselves. And good leaders have integrity, which means the truth is bigger than just them. That gives them integrity. Today, we're going to talk about the initiative component. Good leaders take initiative. Bad leaders, well, they just hope for the best, or they maybe don't even care enough to put in the initiative kind of work that good leadership requires. The Old Testament portion of the Bible is a, a period of time that covers the, the rise and fall of the nation of Israel. And it's a fascinating study on the effect of both good leaders and bad leaders on this particular nation. They had both kinds of leaders, good leaders and bad leaders. Before the downfall of the nation of Israel in 586 B.C., they had gone through 42 kings. And of those 42 kings, 32 of them were bad kings. Only 10 were good. Now, these bad kings were not just observed to be bad and recorded that way in history. This was something that the people who lived under the reigns of these kings experienced and suffered with. And that's because when leaders are bad, it's usually the people under them who suffer the most, not necessarily the leaders. Right now, it's the people of Ukraine and even Russia that are suffering in this war. It's not Vladimir Putin, the leader of Russia, who initiated this war. He has an estimated net worth of $100 billion to keep him safe and comfortable. So he's not suffering. It's the people under him that are suffering. And this is the way it goes in the world. Now, in the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament book of Isaiah, we find an interesting set of verses. It's a summary evaluation of all of the bad leaders of Israel, God's evaluation. And in this evaluation of bad leadership, we actually get a pretty clear summary of what the opposite looks like, what good leadership should be like. Here's God's evaluation of the bad leaders of Israel, found in Isaiah chapter 56, verses 9 through 12. It says, Come, all you beasts of the field, come and devour all you beasts of the forest. Israel's watchmen are blind. They all lack knowledge. They are all mute dogs. They cannot bark. They lie around and dream. They love to sleep. 
They are dogs with mighty appetites. They never have enough. They are shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way. They seek their own gain. Come, each one cries. Let me get wine. Let us drink our fill of beer. And tomorrow will be like today or even far better. Now this summary statement of the bad leaders starts with a, a call. A call is made, an invitation is made to the beasts of the field to come and devour the nation of Israel, to basically decivilize it, to cause its demise. Now, this is not a verbal invitation given to the beasts of the field. This is simply talking about what happens automatically and simply arises out of the fact that the leaders of Israel were not leading very well. Good leadership provides protection. Bad leadership invites destruction. Now, God gives us three visuals to help us understand the impact of bad leaders. These are the three visuals. They are like blind watchmen. They are like lazy dogs. And they're like lost shepherds. Three images of bad leadership. And each image points to the three types of initiative that good leaders should take. Now, what's interesting is the first three kings of Israel, the first three of the 42 kings of Israel, struggled with each one of these images and what it points to in turn, in order. And so as we go through these three, we're going to use the example of the first three kings of Israel as we apply these principles to what good leadership looks like. Now, before we get into these three principles of initiative, I want to challenge you how to how to think through these three or how to apply these three. And we'll talk about this a little bit later. But these three are three areas in which I would encourage you to pray for your leaders about. Because if you're under leadership, your life is influenced by how well your leader leads. So these three are three things that are great to pray for those in leadership over us. The second thing is, if you have the opportunity to choose leaders, look for these three qualities. Use these three in the selection of leaders. Now, we live in a time where we don't always select our leaders, but this is a period of time where we have more say on those who lead us than almost any other time in history. So when you have an opportunity, when you can influence the choice, think about these three. And then lastly and most importantly, use these three to think through your own leadership, your own influence, your own spheres of influence, and to grow in these three. So let's look at these three. Number one, good leaders take the initiative to look ahead. They look ahead. And in that way, they are like watchmen. The problem with Israel's bad leaders is Israel's watchmen, we are told, are blind. Well, that's a problem. Because the most essential quality of a watchman is what? That they can see. Ancient cities in the Bible had watchmen. And these watchmen were responsible to warn the inhabitants of the city of approaching danger. You see, the cities of the ancient world were fortified with walls and gates. And all of the fields that provided the food for the city surrounded the city and the walls of the city. And so every morning, the inhabitants of the city, for the most part, would pour out through the gates of the city and go out to their fields surrounding that city and tend to their fields. And the city walls would provide protection for them, but only if the people were able to flee the fields in time to make it inside the city walls so the gates could be closed. So while everyone was working in the fields, watchmen would not be looking down. 
They would not be working. They would be looking ahead. They would be scanning the horizon for signs of danger so that they could give a warning. This is a, a, a great image of what a leader is supposed to do. They are to look to the future and get ready for what's coming. And if they do that well, that allows those who are under them to focus on their task, the task at hand. Saul was the first king of Israel. And from all indications, he looked the part. 1 Samuel 9.2 has this description of Saul. It says, Saul is handsome, a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. He would have been elected in the day of social media for sure. And he was a head taller than anyone else. So he literally, we are told, in a crowd, he would stand head and shoulders above and he could see way beyond what was going on in the crowd. But sadly, this physical ability didn't extend to his leadership. Saul did what bad leaders do. He got fixated on his power. He got focused on his own throne. And he went almost blind to the future. This all came to a head when the neighbor, neighboring Philistine people amassed an army and came to attack the nation of Israel and destroy it. So Saul, as kings do, marshaled the army to go and defend the nation of Israel. And God gave clear instructions to Saul that he was to wait with the army for the prophet Samuel to come and offer a sacrifice to God and pray for God's blessing and help and the protection of the nation of Israel. But Samuel was delayed in coming for some reason. And Saul is sitting there with his army. The men are getting nervous. They're getting concerned that they're kind of sitting ducks and the Philistine army is going to ambush them. And so they actually start deserting. So Saul decides that he can't wait for Samuel. And he offers a sacrifice of his own. And he prays. And he marshals the army to get ready to go and defend the nation of Israel. And just as he gets done praying... Samuel the prophet arrives. And this is what Samuel says in 1 Samuel 13, verse 13. He says, You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Samuel says of what Saul did, he said it was a foolish thing. The Hebrew language, which was what was spoken and therefore the Old Testament was written in this language, the Hebrew language has nine words that we translate into the one English word foolish. So in Hebrew, there's nine ways to be stupid. There's nine ways to be foolish. And it describes what's still true of us. But the word that's used here for this particular kind of folly is impulsive. That's one of the ways we can be foolish is just be impulsive. If you're an impulsive leader, you're not looking to the future. You're reacting to the present. You're blind to the future. All you can see is what's around you. And eventually, when that happens, all you can see is the problems in the present. You become consumed with fear. And eventually, you start seeing threats that aren't even real. You start worrying about things that aren't even happening. And that's what happened to Saul in the end. As you read through the life story of Saul, in the end, he stuck to his palace. He never got out. He stayed hidden in his palace, and he would throw spears at shadows. He was so afraid. He literally went crazy. Now, why is it so hard for a leader to look ahead? 
Because when you look ahead, what you often see is a distant problem looming in the horizon. And in order to address that looming and distant problem, you're, it'll cost you something right now to address it now. But the fact is you already have problems to deal with now. The thing about leadership is leadership is basically and fundamentally about problem solving. That's what leaders do. They solve problems over and over and over again. And leaders face problems in two time horizons. There are the now problems, and then there are the distant problems. The distant problem for Saul in this example was how God might respond to him if he disobeyed and didn't wait for Samuel to come. That's a distant problem. That God would respond some way, probably not good, but that's a problem in the future. The more urgent problem, the now problem that Saul was facing was the men were getting restless and some of them were starting to desert. So he did what we're all tempted to do and what bad leaders always do, and he addressed the now problem and decided to ignore the distant problem. But it turns out that it was the distant problem that ended up costing him his leadership, Samuel says, and eventually his life, and his mind even. You see, the now problems almost always seem bigger than the distant problems because they're closer. But usually they're not. The now problems are not bigger. They appear bigger because they're closer, but they're usually smaller in reality. The thing that happens with distant problems is time does not solve them. They don't get smaller over time, they get bigger. Not just because they're getting closer, but because over time they actually get worse. You know, right now, the problem you see in the distance may be a baby-sized gorilla problem. But if you don't address that problem now, and you let time go on, what's going to happen to that baby gorilla? It's going to grow up to be a 500-pound adult gorilla problem. You know, about a year from now, it'll be an adult gorilla. If you wait for two years, that adult gorilla is going to have more baby gorillas. That problem is going to multiply, not just grow. Let's say, for example, you're a parent, and you notice a lazy streak growing in your four-year-old child. Not uncommon. I don't know of any four-year-old children who love to do chores and are delighted at the prospect of work rather than play. So you notice this kind of laziness growing in your four-year-old child. The question you have is, how do I address that, and do I address it? If you address it, your day and your life, which is already hard because you have a four-year-old, is just going to get harder than it already is. So what a lot of parents do is they decide to hope for the best. But of course, the best doesn't just magically appear. So that lazy streak grows. And eventually, if it's not addressed soon enough, you have an adult-sized laziness problem on your hands. And it's quite possible that adult may have children, your grandchildren. Now you have a much bigger problem than a four-year-old laziness problem. An adult that will not support themselves is much more expensive than a four-year-old child that won't do their chores. Now, let me say this clearly. 
children grow up to make their own decisions. So there is no guarantee that if you address a problem early like this, that the problem will automatically be fixed and never return. There's no guarantees. But what I can guarantee you is that time will not make that or any other problem that you see arising in your child grow smaller. And time will not make it magically, mysteriously go away. It's a distant problem that's going to get bigger. Or another example, let's say you're a boss and you see a bad attitude emerging in an employee, or maybe you're a supervisor and see a bad attitude emerging in someone that you supervise. If you address it now, it could get ugly, depending on how they respond. And especially given the employment laws of this state, it's going to be a mess. So you decide, you know what? I got enough problems on my own. I'm just going to let, I'm going to let it go. Maybe it'll go away. Does the attitude get better? Uh-uh. No, unaddressed, it grows, and that attitude gets bolder, and it gets bigger, and it has babies in the form of other employees that take on that attitude. And left unchecked, the business quite possibly will fail because of something like that. And then you'll be out of work. So bad leaders spend their days doing their very best to ignore problems in the distant and just only addressing urgent ones or not addressing them at all. But good leaders do the hard work of looking ahead and they expend energy now in order to address the eventual bigger distant problems. Now what that means practically is good leaders work harder today than they have to. That's what initiative requires. Second quality, good leaders take the initiative to speak up. In that way, they are like watchdogs. The problem with Israel's bad leaders is they are all mute dogs that cannot bark. Well, again, kind of a basic problem if you have a watchdog that cannot bark. The most essential quality of a watchdog is that they can bark when they sense danger. One of the most important parts of being a leader is to use your voice to address problems that come up. As I said, leaders are problem solvers. It took me a while to learn this. I kept thinking, why is there always so many problems? It's because you're a leader. That's why there's always problems. And so, if you're a leader, you're going to face problems, and you're going to have to solve problems. But you're going to have to use your voice to address those problems. So one of the key qualities of a leader is they must be willing to have difficult conversations. Leaders solve problems, which means leaders are willing to have difficult conversations. Good leaders don't like having difficult conversations. If you like having really hard conversations, there's something off on the inside. But good leaders realize that for the good of those they lead, they must be willing to speak up. They must be willing to have difficult conversations. But Israel's leaders don't make a sound. Why? We're given two reasons. Reason number one is they're sleeping. They lie around and dream. They love to sleep. They're living in a fantasy world. Second reason is they're eating. 
They are dogs with mighty appetites that never have enough. They're basically focused on their own needs. David was the second king of Israel. Now, unlike Saul, he did not look the part. Everyone looked at Saul and said, oh, yeah, he's a leader. Everyone looked at David and said, I don't see it. In fact, when God identified the family, David's family, where the next king would come, everyone thought of every other brother of David's rather than David. No one thought, oh, David's the one. In fact, in 1 Samuel 16, 7, we read this, but the Lord said to Samuel, the prophet who he told to pick the king, said this to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. You know, Saul was a tall guy. Apparently David wasn't as tall. For I rejected him based on height, the older brothers. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. It's this inside stuff we're talking about. And so David was selected as the next king, and David turned out to be the best leader that Israel ever had. Again and again, David spoke up, and he directed the people back to God. In fact, David used his voice so much that he ended up writing the largest book in the Bible. The book of Psalms, in the very center of the Bible, for the most part, are the words of David. So under David, Israel prospered. He looked ahead, took the initiative to look ahead. He took the initiative to speak up and direct people back to what was right and what was true. But even David went quiet for a while. He pursued the dream of another woman and satisfied his appetites in an affair with her with Bathsheba. Now notice that the dog didn't run off. It's still there. It's just not barking. It's just not doing its job. Like most leaders... David didn't necessarily walk away from his leadership responsibilities on the outside. He walked away from them on the inside. Now, David did repent. It took some doing, but David did repent. And because God is so gracious, he did forgive. But a lot of people paid a tremendous price for David's dog days. And this kind of thing still happens today. Leaders get tired of speaking up, and they go quiet. Why? What is so tired about speaking up? It's not the words themselves that are draining. It's the response to the words that are draining. You see, these are not just words in general. These are watchdog words. What's the purpose of a watchdog? To warn. The goal is to stop someone. That's one of the essential roles of a leader. What a leader must do over and over again is speak up and say, no. No. Leaders don't bark, but they do say no, because in order to do something good, you must say no to a lot of things. Leaders have to keep the people they lead on track morally and missionally. So over and over again, they have to say, no, we're not going to do that. That's not right. Or no, we're not going to do that, that's good, but that's not in line with our mission. So no, we're not going to do that. But when a leader says no, what people usually hear is rough. They hear the bark. And people don't respond to no very well. 
Two-year-olds don't. 52-year-olds don't. They resist the no. They push back on the no. They complain about the no. They get mad about the no. And that's draining. Because as we talked about last week, good leaders love people. Good leaders would love it if all they, could ever, all they ever had to do is say yes. Yes, do that, that's great. Yes, that's right on track, do that, that's great. And leaders try to say yes as much as they can, but like a good parent, a good leader has to say, no, that's not right. No, we're not going to do that. And that's draining. Solving problems and saying no is tiring. So eventually, what watchdogs do is they eventually say, you know what, I'm going to take a nap. Or I'm going I'm to get some for me. I'm going I'm to take care of me. And when that happens, like it did for David, they and those they lead pay a very high price. Lastly, good leaders keep on doing these two. They keep initiating. And that way, they're like shepherds. The problem with Israel's leaders, they were shepherds who lacked understanding. What is it that these shepherd leaders didn't understand? Well, you have to look at what follows the statement about them being shepherds who lack understanding to understand the cause of this lack of understanding. Here's what it says after they are described as shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way. They seek their own gain. Come, each one cries, let me get wine. Let, let us fill our fill of beer, and tomorrow will be like today or even far better. So these are not new shepherds who don't know how to lead. They've never been shepherds before. They, they're just learning the trade. They're learning some leadership skills. That's not who this is talking about. These are old shepherds. These are old leaders who are tired leaders. They're tired of leading. And they're looking for a little me time. Actually, a lot of me time to make up for the, the strain. So having led for a while now, they want to go their own way. They want to seek their own gain. So what's wrong with that? What about this plan shows a lack of understanding. Well, listen to the goal behind this plan. And tomorrow would be like today, even far better. They do this because they think that's the way to the good life. You see, leadership is hard. Whether it's a formal position or informal. It's hard. It's work. So it seems that if you want tomorrow to be far better than today... You should stop leading. You should stop taking initiative. And you should just focus all your attention on getting what you want. This is basically the modern dream of retirement in a nutshell. Now, let me be clear. There's nothing wrong with retirement. As you get older, you don't have the same energy. I'm experiencing that. <laughs> You don't have the same health that you once did, and you need to prepare for that reality. But the modern retirement dream often involves more than just prudent future preparation. 
The modern retirement dream is this. It seeks a well-earned right to finally go selfish, to finally seek your own gain. Now, it only seems fair, let's be honest. It makes sense, doesn't it? That's why it's so powerful. I mean, after years of working and sacrificing to build a career and maybe a family, it's time to be on the receiving end of life. It makes sense to us. But God says it lacks understanding. Why? It lacks an understanding of what makes the future even better than today. That's what we want. Don't we want tomorrow to be even better than today? That's what I want. So our normal understanding of how you get tomorrow to be better than today is pretty simple. You take some of your best experiences from the past and you try to make that your future. For example, if you are flying to Hawaii this afternoon for a vacation, I have a prediction. Tomorrow will be far better than today. (laughs) And I know by experience, that's most, I mean, it could be worse, but I think your odds are pretty good that tomorrow's going to be far better than today. So it seems that if that's true of a vacation from work, then it must be true with a permanent vacation from work, right? Never-ending resort living. What it fails to understand is that God is the one who makes tomorrow better, not us. So the big question that we have to ask if we want understanding is how does God make the future better for me? And here's the answer. God's future blessing is attached to God's current assignment. That's That's where it flows from. We think that in order for the future to get better for us, we need to get out of here. Why? Well, here is hard. Here is crowded. Here is busy. So there, wherever there is, it's got to be better. Maybe. But not if you're leaving the assignment that God has for you. If you're leaving an assignment that God has given you, And my understanding is whatever we're doing is God's assignment until we're told different. If you leave God's assignment, you will be miserable there, not better. So what makes the future better for me? It's attached to my current assignment. i got to get clear on what my assignment is. Even if I'm going to stop drawing a paycheck, what's my assignment? That's the first question, not... Where can I put together the best resort kind of lifestyle so I can live the rest of my life just being a dog with its muzzle in the bowl taking care of me? That's not the question. And the bigger question is, what makes the future better for them? The answer is God's future blessing flows through good leaders. For things to get better... For people, it requires good leaders to take initiative and make it better. And it takes time to learn to be a good leader. And if all the good leaders eventually decide, you know what, I'm going to check out and it's going to all be about me, our community will suffer. This church will suffer. This world will suffer. Last weekend, for me, was one of the most amazing events I've seen happen on this campus. I don't know if you got a chance to be at the street fair. It was 
something to behold. Why did that happen? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the key reasons, like most things, was because of leadership. Not my leadership. It was the leadership of a couple who recently retired and had been a part of Seabreeze for decades. They're the ones that took the lead on this. And they pulled together a team of other really capable leaders. And with their free time, because they've recently retired, they've got more time now than they did before. With their free time, they took the considerable leadership skills that they had learned in their careers. And if I told you what they did in their careers, you would realize, oh, they're good leaders. They took those skills. They had been, they'd been using those skills some in this church, but now they got more time. They took those skills and they leveraged them for what happened last week. You see, retirement isn't a chance to check out, but to make some of the best investments of your life in the place where you have building trust, been building trust for years. I wouldn't let any couple do that. Someone came to me and said, I used to run this big thing in business, so let me do this for you. I would say, I don't know you well enough to trust you. So get involved. Over time, you'll earn trust. But they've earned trust over decades. So when they said, hey, we'd be willing to lead this, I said, you, you go. And they did. Solomon was the third king of Israel. At the beginning of his reign, God offered him a blank check. He said, Solomon, you ask me for anything. I'll give it to you. You want to be the richest man in the world? I'll give you that. You want to be the most powerful man in the world? I'll give you that. Solomon asked God for wisdom to lead, which showed that he already had some. God granted this request, and Solomon became the wisest man of his day. Rulers from around the world came to learn from him. And Solomon discovered that if you're wise, oftentimes that does affect your pocketbook. He became rich too. And it does affect your influence and your power. He got that too. Solomon is the one who wrote the wisdom books in the Bible, the books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And then he went stupid. Why? It's because of this. They seek their own gain. Selfish equals stupid. Always does. In his latter years, he took resort living to a new level. Now, many leaders have followed in his path. They've sought their own gain. They've taken their considerable leadership skills. And because they're tired, it's okay to take a break. But they have decided to change their career to be about them. They've sought their own gain. They've stopped taking initiative. They've stopped leading. And what happens next is others pay a steep price. Solomon's divided heart led to a divided kingdom. Kingdom of Israel divided. And for the next 400 years, Israel went through one civil war after another. And it all started when the leader stopped initiating in God's assignment, got tired, and got selfish. So let's review. Good leaders look ahead. They solve problems, distant problems. Good leaders, they speak up. They're willing to pay the price, 
of having difficult conversations. Good leaders, they keep initiating. They don't put in the same hours they did when they were in their 30s or 40s. Can't do that. But they keep saying, God, what do you want me to do with my gifts, my abilities, in what you want done in this world? And they keep going after it. They keep initiating. They don't go selfish. These are the kind of leaders we need to pray for. These are the kind of leaders that we need to choose. And these are the kind of leaders that we need to be. May God grant it. Let's pray. Father, we marvel at the wisdom of your words, the images that you have placed in front of us that challenge us. I pray for every one of us in whatever spheres of influence you've given us that you would show us clearly what our assignment is, what you want us to do. There are many ways that are culturalized to us, and I pray that you would help us hear your truth beyond the lies of our own heart and the lies of our culture. God, I thank you for the leaders in this church and for the leaders that we got to meet last Sunday of this community. God, we pray for good leaders, that good may push back evil. We pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our leader, and our Savior. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church podcast.